Welcome to another mailbag episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion, where we talk everything that you guys want us to talk about. Again, it's me, Adam, and with me are Dan and Terry, but we're in isolation, so we're all in separate areas and of of Vancouver, and we're uh, we're all gonna hopefully be able to uh, to get through this. What's interesting right now <laughs> is that. Um, only I have the questions, so I guess I could lie about every one of these guys and just totally throw you off. Adam's just making it up. Adam's just making it up at this point. <laughs> yeah, and it's, oh, Dan, the fans needed to know. You know how big are you? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Like how big? How big? Or no, how small? How big? Um, oh, gross. So, so uh, once again, we have three different random tables each one of them has 20 questions on it we're going to answer 20 questions in total which means we're only going to hit one third of it like we always do on these we all have multiple dice a red a black and a white guys i can't see which dice you're rolling so you're gonna have to tell me which table you're rolling off because uh we chose these colors because our tables are black and white and red all over um and there uh is going to be i'm going to keep track of how many we've gone through and hopefully when we're all done uh, we will have given you some insight about Dungeons and Dragons and also Dan's bedroom life. It should be noted that I am currently three beers in and have another four right next to me. So this should be a good evening. Nice. <laughs> what kind of beer? I've I've got two Guinness and then a bunch of Sleeman's Honey Brown. Nice. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's gonna points. be a good night. So okay, <laughs> um, guys, do you have your dice ready? Let's roll initiative to see who's gonna go first, second, and third. Of course, it's not divisible by three. Twenty questions is not divisible by three. So whoever comes in last. Only gets to go um, five times instead of six. All right. Okay. I'm ready to go. You tell me when. Nope. Six <laughs> times instead of seven. Doesn't matter. Math is hard. Let's go. Let's roll initiative. I'm keeping what I rolled. I got a 19. I got a seven. I got a 13. Well, I guess. Well, I guess I'm going last then. So, Dan first. Uh, pick a table. Which one do you want to go with? I always start off red first because they go faster. So, here we go. Rolling the red dice. I got a six. Six. <laughs> we're starting off strong uh our good oh friend crystal who gave us a cake way back when uh who baked us a mimic yeah, cake crystal. has uh hey. written in and asked when is dan finally going to start showcasing his bdsm furniture um <laughs> never dan i just want uh, you to note that we did not bring this up dan asked us not to bring it up anymore and we honored that request <laughs> eventually um so my serious answer is uh never um but i have uh started entering in the planning stages for making a couple really cool little woodwork projects that uh you can't be chained down to uh so are these things that can be inserted um into your living room well, to use to serve dishes and stuff onto. I call it my because it's uh, Dungeons and Dragons themed like dinner tables and stuff with like live edge wood and and, and epoxy <laughs> and d twenties. So, um, serious answer, uh, never. But check the Instagram feed for like actual woodwork projects that I've I've been planning. Okay, before we go any further, I just want to point out that Dan actually did some quality marketing there and promoted his craft, and he's a fantastic craftsman, and Dan, I'm glad you're learning and coming along. Yay! I'm not that socially awkward anymore. <laughs> the fact that you just said yay and then declared it out loud makes you socially awkward, bud. 
I know, yeah, and I then know. use the tone of voice that suggests you're not very confident in yourself. But other nope, than that, nope, nope, not marketing. <laughs> Next question, <laughs> Terry. What do you got for us? Which table? I'm going to go white table two. That's my favorite number. Oh, shit, I was hoping this one wouldn't come up. I made a promise with this. So, Coffee Bitch Dave asked... And it's come, it's come up already. Yeah. When are you going to let Megan, Brad, and Dave write a list of questions for you three to answer? So, I told Dave beforehand that if this question came up, then the next one that we would answer um, would, be the, uh, would be one that he and Brad and Megan all actually write their own list of 20 questions so they can... They can sabotage us for the entire freaking episode. Now, okay, I'm 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 okay with Megan writing us questions. Dave concerns me, but I think I think there'll actually be some pretty dang insightful questions. Brad's the wild card, and I'm terrified for every single thing that man will ask us. I'm more terrified of Megan's questions, to be honest. Because I don't think she's going to hold back on me at all. I think this would like finally be an excuse to have some sort of release. And uh, and tear me apart. So, uh, but but I don't know Brad anywhere near as well as you. So, uh, I mean, to me, he's always lovely. Well, I think that's mostly because Megan, Megan, uh, Megan, and I don't have like. I'm not saying you guys have beef, but like Megan and I get along very well. So I I I don't think she's gonna snipe me, but she might. Oh God, now I'm worried about both of them. And Dave's known me since I was five. Oh God. (laughs) Megan and I are best frenemies. Well, I'm going to let you guys know right now that I'm going to tell Megan that Dan said that Megan will be nice to him. So now he's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, bud. You're welcome. Thanks. Anytime, my friend. All right. Uh, so it's my turn. I'm going to go on the white table, too, because I'm already looking at it. So 11. If we keep going through the questions this fast, this is going to be a very short mailbag episode. There are a couple of landmines <laughs> in here that are going to take 45 minutes to answer. So um, oh, good. At the J Young says, I have a PC who wants to tattoo a scroll or a spell onto themselves. How on earth could I go about this? Um, guys, we did we did an episode on magical tattoos. Go back and, and check it out. As a matter of fact, this is uh, episode M009. It was M008. We talked about magical tattoos and... Um, but I mean, is there anything else you guys would say about tattooing a spell? Anything that we didn't cover in that episode? Um, oh my goodness. If, you, you kind of caught me off guard here, but I feel like we covered just about everything we could cover on that episode. Um, the only thing I would say is that if, if it is a scroll or whatnot that is on their skin and they want to use it as like an additional spell like ability or something, um, I'd be a hundred percent down for it. Like I said in the last episode, I love magical tattoos. But I would make it a one use per day. Um, and if it's a particularly powerful spell, I might even do one use with a recharge. And if it doesn't, if you don't hit it with a recharge, you don't get it until you like actually hit the recharge. So, yeah. um, but like still you need a long rest minimum to cast it. So like uh, at the end of every day, you roll a D20. And if you roll an 18 or above, because it's an eighth level spell or some such nonsense, then you can have the ability to cast it the next day. But if you roll that one to 17, you ain't getting it. Yeah, I like that. Oh, I also like the idea of magical tattoo removal as well. And uh, there's a chance whatever spell is in there would go off as you're trying to remove it. <laughs> uh, just think of like, a cone of cold or something as you're trying to remove the tattoo. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I've been, you know, I got a point at Eberron because if this is during character creation, like if there's something they want mid campaign, I think you guys are right. We covered it in Unearthed Arcana and, and there's, there's, there's a lot going on, but if you're doing this during, you know, character creation, did you guys know that there are dragon marks in Eberron and these things are essentially birthmarks, but there's intricate as tattoos and they're kind of like tribal looking. And the really cool thing about it is let's say that you're a, half elf or whatever it actually replaces your uh sub race so if you wanted to be a gnome with a specific dragon mark on it then you don't take mark ascribing or something uh that's the mark of i want to say sending it's the communication one across long distances you get an expanded spell list of eight different spells that unlocks as you progress your character and you um you replace all of your gnome stats with this brand new thing instead because you're a unique special breed of character so there's there's some cool options in eberron for that as well all right i guess that makes it my next question yep what do you got which table uh let's go with the black table Ooh, natural 20 on the black table nice all right uh we've got salad man underscore 77 asks how do i as a player deal with a distributive party and i think they mean disruptive party how do you as a player deal with a disruptive party um i mean i'm uh, we've said this with and our multiple poly party politics episodes um that i am a huge fan of just open and clear communication um If you have a well-established kind of level of relationship with those people at your table, like you're all friends in there, then sitting there and going like, hey guys, when we're playing D&D, I love playing D&D. Can we focus on D&D? I very, very, very rarely see that go poorly. However, I've seen it go poorly. Um, just because it's rare doesn't mean it doesn't happen. So one of the things I have done in the past is um, schedule D&D. So like uh, what I mean is break down the evening or, or whenever I'm playing and be like, okay, guys, 730 hits. Dice are on the table. We're playing D&D. We're being serious. And I'm laying down the rules. Like no, no one interrupts unless it's in character and makes sense. Like if your character's across the city, you're not interjecting in this moment of role play. Um, like we keep the distractive, uh, distracting talk to a minimum, all that after 730. However, we're starting at six and up to six. You got, we're hanging out. We're having fun, telling jokes. We're, we're good. But if we're having a serious campaign and everyone, wants it to be a serious campaign then after seven we're on let's keep the fart jokes till the end yeah i mean it depends on what kind of campaign you're doing too right like if it is a silly one and people are being disruptive that's fine i think this is a real challenge these days because a lot of people due to isolation started off campaigns over roll 20 with total strangers and that could be a lot more difficult. Yeah. So my suggestion then is to talk to the dungeon master and say, hey, look, I didn't realize the campaign was going to be like this. Um, if you're okay with it, that's cool. I may duck out. But if you're also bothered, can maybe we say something to everyone else? Right? Yeah. And so um, side chatter is fine. 
It really is, especially in low moments. A DM is flipping through their notes to start the next thing or or unveiling a map of some sort and waiting for a loading page or whatever it is. A little side chatter is all right. But if you're in the middle of trying to do something cool and some asshole across from you starts squirting you with a squirt gun or, you know, just over just over steamrolling over you with the uh, with their words. And so no one else can hear you through your microphone. That's not cool, and uh, that's time to talk to your dungeon master, who is there to be a referee. So, yeah, yeah, know, lean on them. They I are agree. a resource. I, I agree with both you guys. I just want to weigh in on this real quick as well. There's two two things that stuck out to me there. It was, um, it was it's, as a player and, and the disruptive players part. So, so um, there, there's always a reason why for everything, right? And I think too often we're, we're, we're eager to jump to solutions of what we think the problem is. But if you have disruptive players... To them, they're likely not disruptive in their own minds. Oh, there's a reason why. Okay, there's a reason why they're doing that. And we can't fix it until we find out what it is. It, whether it be that they're not enjoying the campaign, that the DM's frustrating them, that they think that's just acceptable, that they think that's what they're supposed to do if they're newer players, there'll be a reason why. And I don't think you can truly fix it until you find out what that is. The second part was the as a player part. If it's the player asking, it suggests to me that either the DM doesn't have a concern with this or for whatever reason, the DM doesn't feel comfortable with this issue because the player feels the need to ask. So as the player first, I agree with what both of you guys said. I think you should go to the DM, but I think you should also find out why the DM feels comfortable with this behavior before you find out the reason why it's happening. That's fair. That's a that's a great point. Get to the root of the issue, right? Yeah. Um, if people want to actually listen to our, our real answers... Here, you can go check out episodes, oh god, 7, 8, and 9, which were all about party politics and role-playing. Specifically episode 9, that was a big one. And uh, I believe the other one where we really focused on this was um, episode 51, which is how to how to handle players as a dungeon master. There's going to be tips in there that, that'll help you as a player as well. Alright, Terry, that's you. Which one next? That's me. Okay, let me roll here. Well, which, uh, which I got table? Uh, four. Oh, on Red Table. Red Table. Uh, you get Pepperina Red. underscore Sparkle Gem. Hello, Peps. Um, Pepperina. How did D&D find each of you? How did D&D find each of us? Uh, I guess that means I get to go first. Yeah. Um, how did D&D find me? I think it came from when I was younger. And I've shared this with you guys. I played Warhammer. I played Warhammer 40k when I was like tween and teen sort of age. And then left it alone for a while. Grew up. Um, like Robin Williams in Hook, and just kind of left it all behind. But you know, it was you know you know how it's always kind of in the back of your mind, in the back of your mind. And then I thought, well, I'd really love to get into that. But at the time, I didn't have the twelve thousand dollars that it costs to play a single game of Warhammer Forty K these days. You were um, really not wrong. Oh my god! So I started to look. So then, so then for me, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll enjoy something like Magic. But I, again, I couldn't afford to, you know, sell my organs to play that game. Uh, and so I kind of came across D and D that way. Whether the 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 minis were optional, you could build it over time, but you could essentially play with nothing. Talked to a few of my friends. This is when I was still living in Saskatchewan, or as they say in the U.S. Saskatchewan um, uh, that was when I was still living in Saskatchewan and, and I talked to my friends about it and it turned out they'd had similar thoughts and so we put a game together and we kind of went from there uh, but really it was because uh, initially I wanted to play Warhammer again and uh, I kind of found this D&D because it's cheaper alright Adam what about you um, I was known when I was younger as being like a bit of a nerd but also a bit of a strategist as well I mean I liked my deep lore fantasy stuff like I was 
uh, deep, deep, deep into Star Wars before even the prequels came out, right? Like I had read all the books and I could talk about it at length. And, and there's there are a lot of things like that that I have in my background. I can talk to you about Batman, uh, freaking X-Men. And I don't mean like, oh, the movies. No, no, you should see my comic collection. It's embarrassing. But there are yep. so... <laughs> shut up, Dan. But there are so, so many... Other... Oh, I'm not, no, no I'm, not, I'm not making fun of you because there were times I'd be like, shit, I don't quite know this level of thing about this nerdy thing. So I'm going to go talk to Adam, who I know is nerdier about this thing than I am. Happened several times growing up. So yeah, yeah. No, I'm not making fun of you. No, but yeah, no, you were obsessed. Yep, I totally have some strong opinions about it, and I mean, if you want to hear the top ten reasons why Grant Morrison sucks, you give me a call. But um, that's a bit of a deep cut. But only ten, oh, really? Don't. Only ten? Well, well, we only have ten hours to go through it. <laughs> but um, the the other thing that I was really known for amongst my friends was, I mean, I was I could play chess, and I was nigh unbeatable in that. I always ranked well in in poker and Risk and all of these board games that were like really high strategy. Um, and, and tactical games. And someone said, look, I've got these books about Dungeons and Dragons. If you like strategy, if you want to be the best ever, here is a player's handbook. And of course it was 3.5. So that was definitely the mentality back then. So it was, it was, here's a player's handbook. Here's a box of 900 other books. Do your research, figure this out and then come back. Let's see if, uh, if you can handle the monsters I'll throw at you. And so I went away and I learned the system and, uh, and it was unhealthy and competitive. That was adversarial D&D. And I cut my yes, teeth was, on that yeah. for about three years before fourth edition came. And everything went sideways. Not better. Definitely not better. Not necessarily worse in some ways, but sideways. So, uh, I and I just, I've loved fifth edition since, right? Like fifth edition, since I've dug my my hands into it, has been phenomenal. It's It's all about storytelling. That's what I love. Adam, can I ask you a quick strategy question before Dan gives his answer, just sure. so I don't forget? Because um, strategy is something that, that I enjoy as well, but really not necessarily strategy. It's more tactics for me. It's, it's short term. Like I think like winning the battle instead of winning the war. Yeah. Uh, but strategy is something that's interesting to me. Do you find that as you play these different games between chess and risk and poker, that there are some like principles that you apply to all of these games, you know, whether it be like divide and conquer or whatever it is, apply to all of these games that you find can roll over that you kind of fall back on as you try and build another strategy. Uh, Number one, watch your opponent's eyes, especially when it's not their turn. Right. Everyone has a great poker face. Yep. Watch their eyes. Everyone has an amazing poker face when it comes to them. But when it's someone else's turn and they're sitting there doing the math in their head, that's when their eyes are going to twitch. They're going to open wide. They're going to rearrange the cards in their hands. This works for just about any card game. It also works for risk. You can see them when it's not their turn. They're doing math. How many armies, how many turns, how many steps does it take to get this far? When it is your turn, and and I will often take a long time in chess just to stress out the other player, because I don't play by a clock, right? And so the longer it takes, the more they start to second guess, and I watch where their eyes keep going. As I reach out towards a piece, I want to see what their eyes are doing, right? Because most people can control their, their, um, their face, they can control their movements, they can control their breath as much as they can. But they're, what they're paying attention to will give them away, especially when no one should right. be looking at them. So that's that's what I, I'm always looking for, the thing that they're paying attention to, because then I know what they're not paying attention to. So that's yeah. my answer. 
Oh, that's smart. That's really good. Me, I um, had a good friend uh, who I went to middle school with and and, uh, elementary school with who um, we played uh, video games together. We hung out, um, but uh, he and a bunch of his buddies called me over to his place to play um, what was by name only Dungeons and Dragons. It was uh, more of a GURP system, but uh, it, it, I mean, it was still D&D, I guess. Um, and that group in some facsimile still meets this Friday to play D and D. We've been playing together since way back when, um, especially me and my buddy, Nick, shout out to Nick. Who's, uh, really the person who got me into all of this. Um, and I love him dearly for it. So it's, yeah, it, it's just been a lifelong passion since I was eight years old. Because uh, my buddy Nick got me into it and I could pretend to be a barbarian who ate halflings for fun. And what eight years, <laughs> what eight year old boy doesn't like doing that shit? So it was fun. Dan, but, you're getting close to uh, 30 years of D&D. Um, shut your mouth, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> but you look like you've been playing for 40 years and that's what matters. <laughs> that's, and that's I, what D&D does to you. It ages you. <laughs> I, I well, know what else ages you playing Scrabble against Adam. He didn't mention it, but he is uh, a monster at Scrabble. Um, yeah, I and believe it. I, I am eighty percent certain we were playing this game of words with friends recently, and uh, which is Scrabble just on your phone. Um, and he was letting me win the entire game <laughs> until the last move, where he pulled this eighty-nine point move. and just like dropped the mic and walked away. And I haven't quite described to him my displeasure at that moment, but I, I, I was just like a fucking course, a fucking course. You drop an 89 point word on the last turn of the game. You shit. And like, I was winning the entire game. I want, I want you to know, I want you to know that I was on the phone with my girlfriend at the time and I ended up sending her screenshots of what I was going to do. And she said, Adam, that's not nice. you got to let other people win sometimes. And I said, nope, no, I'm going to do this and I'm going to see what he says. And now you're, you're declaring no, you this don't. on air and I'm, I'm very happy about this. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, you're you a piece of shit. Anyways, Terry, I think it's your turn. No, it's my turn to roll. It's, I'm going on the black table. Turn, yeah, that's right. Uh, I got a 19. We've done a 19 and a 20 on this. Um, oh, I, I actually like this one. Uh, Alexander, another Skip Davis. Remember, he sent us that whole big table a few mailbags ago. We still have some left over, so we're slowly working through those. Uh, and he says, what is the best thing about 5th edition? Um, and my answer to that is going to be the flat math, the action economy, and the bounded accuracy. The, look, 5th edition is the best balanced game that I've run across. A lot of people say that Advanced Dungeons and Dragons is more balanced, but it's also, in my opinion, more complicated. Uh, it depends on what you're used to, but when it comes to role-playing games, 5th edition's balance, like, not every class and subclass is created equal, but God, you know, a lot of them are, most of them are, and it doesn't take much for a yeah. DM to rebalance a party by handing out a single, simple, magical item. And the fact that we get things like epic boons and and backstory plot hooks and even backgrounds. Fuck, backgrounds are so good. And nobody looks into them. It'll make or break a campaign if you start playing with backgrounds. Yep. And like we never talk about it on the podcast because I don't know why. We just don't. But we're going to do a deep dive into it you know, soon. When we get through all the subclasses, backgrounds are you know going to be our, our main focus for a while there. So 
Um, and I'm really excited about it because there's some great shit in there. But 5th edition allows you to uh, min-max to a degree, but it is not totally um, unbalanced the way that other things were, the way the prestige classes were. I don't know. I just love the way that 5th edition makes it so that the onus on you to have a unique character is not based on the mechanics, but based on your imagination. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. What about you, Terry? What do you like about 5th edition? Well... I think what I like is um, is is that the zero point isn't too biased. So I, I started with 5th edition. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in the other editions. But from what I've gathered about 3.5, it was very, very math-based. And so if you were kind of role-play heavy, it was hard to incorporate that. Um, and, and so what I've learned about 5th edition is the zero point allows you to you can you can deep dive into and really exaggerate all of the role playing or the exploration side if you want to and the system allows you to do that or if your party or the people you play with kind of want to go math based you it you have the room to to add more math in and to get more complex with what you do it's it's very malleable you can you can adjust it easily and as long as everybody's in agreement with the type of game that you want to play it's easy to adjust so i think that's my favorite thing about D&D is that that zero point isn't too biased in either direction so it's easy to adjust either way fair enough uh, yeah look i i agree with you 100% that is that's it's very useful for new players yeah um, as someone who just recently, um, is getting back into Pathfinder and 3.5 and then those more dense systems, I, I gotta say the advantage system of D&D 5e, the advantage disadvantage mechanics is freaking incredible. Um, as a DM tool, as a, um, yeah. player, as a strategist, the, the idea of advantage and disadvantage is... Like, uh, it's worth is incalculable. So, um, I, I, I love it. It's, it's missed at my table while we're playing Pathfinder. Like, uh, we've, we've been, you know, neck deep in 5e for the past few years. And now that we're going back, uh, to Pathfinder for this one campaign, we're all like, all right, now roll this with advantage. Shoot. That's not a thing anymore. I guess a plus two. Can it be? Can it be a thing with Pathfinder Dan, or is it? I don't know the rule system. Or, or will it break it? I, I mean, it can. I'm. It. It would definitely be a homebrew thing that we will toss around. Definitely doing, but like, uh, the Pathfinder and three five especially suffered massively from a lot of rules bloat, and adding mm-hmm. another system into the game when there's already you know rage powers and points and. Uh, this consumable. There are, and there this are a consu- lot like, of different mechanics and and a lot of resources you have to balance in these games. So yeah, I, yeah. So so like adding advantage on top of it is just crazy. So probably yeah. won't end up going back to our table uh with with the advantage system while we're doing Pathfinder. But we're like four uh, four sessions in, and all of us around the table are all like, "Man, I miss advantage." <laughs> Yeah, it's exciting when you get it. It's it's such a small little prize to get, but if you can put yourself in a position where you get advantage on something, it's uh, it it feels really exciting. And then you know, contrary to that, if you get disadvantage on something, it becomes really tense all of a sudden. And it's such a simple system. Um, just to add a little caveat at the end, there the proficiency system. 
Um, although I wish it was a little bit more fleshed out and had a little bit more of an impact. Um, your level of proficiency, I think, as a um, as a lazy DM is a really good thing to wrap my head around because I, I could kind of guess where DCs are going to be based off of where the proficiency bonuses are going to be at that level. Right. So it, it, it makes it a lot easier as a lazy DM to kind of wing monsters, having that proficiency uh, and, and what that proficiency modifier applies to. Um in terms of like DCs and everything and that and how they scale, it keeps, it keeps things fair while still lazy. So I, 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 I like the proficiency system as well. I just want to point out at this point as well, guys, that these are actually tremendous questions we're getting this time around. Sometimes it's like pulling teeth, but we've had some really good questions so far. So far, my favorite one is the bondage furniture. Next question. (laughs) That's you, Dan, which table? Um, White table 16. White table 16. Spidey underscore Rich, whose name is on these tables a lot. He has been consistently asking us questions that we never answer. So, um, <laughs> Rick, we're answering this it this time. Like for a year. Yeah, we're answering <laughs> this one this time. Uh, he asks, in your opinion, what's the difference between a town, city, and village? How do you decide which to use when world building? Oh, oh. population uh, requirements that I need to fit a story. Um, tone uh and i don't know defenses those are kind of the like off the top of my head those 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 would be how i would define uh those like a city size a uh, uh, a community size um and i will typically use a village when i want to pull at heartstrings um because you can get to know people in a village a lot easier and you get to kind of know the town in a village, but if it's a full-on city, that's somewhere your party is going to be uh, in for some intrigue and, and some digging because the cities are have a lot of secret nooks and crannies that you could get into to to dig away at a mystery and do some investigating. So if I'm if I really want to dig at an exploration pillar for a little bit, then I'm I'm going to a city, not necessarily a small village or hamlet. Terry, do you have an opinion? Uh, when it comes to world building, yeah, I like to lean on, um, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but traditionally in the UK, in order for a town to be considered a city, it needs to have both a university and a cathedral. Now, I'm not sure if the, the cathedral requirement is there now, you know, as we're a little bit more open-minded these days, as opposed to old-time England, uh, but I tend to lean into that when world building. I would have some sort of university or academy or college or wizard school or whatever, and then some sort of um, higher, advanced, more important religious building. Um, if I have those two things, then it's considered a city. And the reason I kind of bring that up as well is just little little fact for you guys out there that listen to the podcast. The, the place that I'm from, my little town, has 5,000 people in it and is known as the largest village in the United Kingdom of 5,000 people. But the town, which is right very close to it, only 10 miles away, has a population of 120,000 people. 120,000. And it's not considered a city because it does not have a cathedral. <laughs> That's crazy. Weird. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I got to say that, I mean, I don't know about cathedrals and, and universities necessarily. But one of the things that I look for is, um, first of all, what is my level of heroism that I want these guys to, to feel, my players? Because it is easy to save a village. I'm talking saving a town at the end of a tier, maybe, but saving a city is is a big deal. 
right? And I'm not going to do that early level. So the level of folk hero or hero of the realm or uh, knighted, uh, honored um, hero, like superhero level, uh, these are going to tell me which one I want to be in. I also have the level of metropolis beyond that and um, and then single dwellings below city, like a roadside tavern in the middle of nowhere or just a farm out, out somewhere else, right? So um, I, I really like that. The other thing that I really look for to, to determine which one I'm going to use is how formal is the government? How intensive and bureaucratic is it? And I know that that sounds boring, but if you have a little village, you might have a little council of six elders and they've got three or four town guard that, you know, can be, they can uh, rouse the militia, but they really only have like a sheriff maybe and three deputies. Um, they don't have people posted at the entrance to the, to the village. Whereas at a city, you have gates and there's going to be not just a town hall with the mayor, but there's going to be something along the lines of a king or um, I use a lot of city states instead of cities, so I'll build an entire city around a castle. Most of my cities have castles in them, and, and then like a uh, city has cropped up around it, and then farmland around that as well. Whereas towns are just kind of like they, they may have some decent technology, like there are cobblestones um, and uh, you know proper wells with donkey wheels and stuff, and they may even have an elevator here or there, but it's not. It, it, there's no palace. There's no fortress uh, around a around a, a town or in a town. So um, I also think about how easily defensible is it, uh, and that's another big factor. And um, and I think about trade routes when I'm doing world building. And this seems so stupid because it never comes up. But when <laughs> I'm doing world building, I think where am I going to start my my guys? Well, I want to start them in a city where they feel very small, or in a village where, where they feel kind of big. Right. So, you know, small fish or big fish, small town. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's that kind of feeling or what am I looking for? And when I map it out, I plunk down my cities and then I make highways between them. And there's a spider web of highways. And then along the highways, every, I don't know, three, four days, there's another town, three or four days travel by horse. And then between those are our, I don't know, a handful of villages, depending on what the terrain is like. Where do I want to start? And that, that's where I go from there. So that's that's kind of my answer. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Gary, I think it's your today. go. All right. Here we go. I'll do a black table uh, 10. Black table 10. <laughs> oh, Terry. Break Your Heroes, who is no longer yeah. at Break Your Heroes anymore. Hi, Danny. Oh, yeah. uh, she hey. asks, uh, what do you think is the most important thing to consider when creating a character? That is the most sensible question that Danny's ever asked me. <laughs> what what do I think is most important important to consider when creating a character? I think um I th- I think the flaws is most important to consider. And I think in building a hero, it's so easy to bypass that and trying to focus on strengths and uh, and all of these incredible things we can do. But I think when we focus on flaws or, or fears, um, I think that's where we truly build an in-depth character because those are, are ultimately the reasons or one of the main reasons why we do what we do or why we don't do what other people think we should do. 
Um, and I think that's what makes a character most interesting. I mean, we don't, we, you know, the world is not so in love with characters like Batman because of what they can do, but because of, you know, how tortured he is. You know, the, the story of, of, the, of the Punisher is not because this guy is really good at kicking people's ass. It's because of, uh, of all of the flaws that go along with that character. And so I think if you want to make a really in-depth character, look at, look at the, the darker and the, the real gritty bad sides of them. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Like, lo- looking into the flaws is potentially the best thing. Having a section for flaws, one of the best things about the 5th the, uh, the edition character sheet. Dan, what do you have? Uh, honestly, I like to, when I'm planning out a character, uh, it's the story around the character. Usually I want some sort of, uh, I mean, I get with what Terry was saying with the with the ideas of the flaws, but I, um, I, I, I want to, I want an intriguing story. So usually when I'm generating a character, I'm like, I'm setting up, um, I'm setting up things that I want my DM to run with, um, and, and, and go with, like, I'm usually giving a nemesis. I'm usually giving some sort of personality, uh, flaw to the character, but I also want him to have strengths. Like, why is this guy unique and special? How is he, um, like if, if you're great, if, if people are going to look up to you, which if you're a level 20 character, eventually people are going to look up to you. You have to have a reason why they do it. Right. And, and so, um, I like to kind of start laying the groundwork, uh, you know, planting those seeds of, of future hope and greatness in the characters before I start building. Um, and if it's in an, uh, in a world I know well, or if it's in like, if it's a campaign that is coming off of a previous campaign but in the same world where all of our decisions from our previous heroes have impacted what the new heroes could do i'll try to connect them in some way shape or form like i i want i want a compelling intriguing story um with with twists and turns and and everything like i want i want a three-dimensional character with a cool story it is amazing that we all come from very different places when building characters, and yet we're all saying we're all going to say essentially the same thing. So Terry said, from a character perspective, his favorite characters are, characteristics are flaws. Dan said, from a plot perspective, he wants flaws and interesting hooks. And for me, when I build a character, I look at theme. I very much want the theme of a character. If I want this down, I go, you know what? I want to be all about fire. I'm going to go with a red dragonborn draconic bloodline sorcerer who's a pyromaniac and like and i'm gonna dig into it maybe he's a fire genasi i'm really gonna lean hard in that direction because i want to know he is now terrified of water if i go into a theme there i got i want to think what is my overall theme and what does it leave me open to right if i want to go thief i'm gonna lean into the shatter kai right i really want to go heavy and it's 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 not really min maxing because i want to focus on things that they struggle with so I really like the fish out of water. That's that's always what I'm looking for. If I'm gonna if I want to be naturey, I may not go like oh a fur bulg circle of the land, but I might be a, a sea elf circle of spores from the swamp, right? And who just doesn't understand civilization, and not just like I don't oh, look at these funny cities you live in. What is this nonsense? But like, wait a minute, you guys you guys warp metal? How do you do that? I I this is this is witchcraft and alchemy i do not understand and like i want to see the big crazy differences and so i lean hard into a theme my next character that i'm going to play which dan knows about is um is going to be a 
character whose entire theme is they don't understand what's happening to them. They don't know where they are or why they're there or any anything about the big scary world around them because they're dropped into a strange world they don't know. So of course I'm going to go wild magic sorcerer with that. And that just blows that. plot hooks wide open. So um, so I, I'm, I'm always looking for an overall theme. I, if I want Batman or Robin Hood, like I'm thinking of a character, why? What is the theme around them that I'm looking for? And once I identify it, then I can embrace it. And then that leaves me wide open to DM kerfuckery. I love that. I love that character idea. Well, you just wait. I, I know that, uh, that Coffee Bitch Dave listens to this podcast, and I'm not <laughs> sure he will have been introduced to my character yet, so I'm not going to say it out loud. But Terry, I'll tell you after the recording, it's bonkers. You'll love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. <laughs> um, I'm going to run up to the red table, and I'm going to roll a 10. That's entirely average. Uh, we're going to cross off another Alexander, another Skip Davis one. Um, what would you name a petrified ant lich as a monster and as an individual? What kind of I'm overly sorry, specific pardon? question is that? This is a Jackie Wacker <laughs> meme type level of specificity. <laughs> a, a petrified ant lich. What would you call it if you were going to make it a, a monster stat? Block and what? And what were you? What would you call it if it was going to be like an individual, like uh, like big bad evil guy? I got to think about an this one. Give this. me a minute. A petrified... This one just totally freaking stumped me. Get it? Petrified and lich, dead weight. <laughs> the d- deadfall. Yeah. Um, what <laughs> Deadfall's not this? bad. Deadfall is really not bad. I don't know, man. Steve, you are the fucking worst. <laughs> Man, I don't know. That's 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 rough. I, I I could call. I would give him a title. It would be like the the captain of rot or something, right? Like there would be a, a thing. He's petrified, so he doesn't rot, but everything around him does. I would lean into that necromancy thing and also look to circle of spores for some some inspiration on this. Um, I, I guess, right? A, a petrified ant lich. He'd be surrounded by corpse flowers. Right, like that's that's a big thing. Like it, it leads me to believe that th- there is something like this in one of the many monster manual um, books somewhere. So there's like, especially in like three point five, when there was like seventeen monster manuals or some such nonsense, including the fiend folio. So there's probably something along that line, like along this along this theme somewhere in there. The carnage cabbage. No, man, that's a hard one. Man. That's. Specific. I don't know. I'm going to get it eventually. I'm going to keep thinking about it. All we'll right. just throw it out. Uh, there is it as my it, turn as next? It comes up. Yeah, Dan, it's you. All right. Uh, let's go red table because we haven't seen a lot of it. Uh, I got a nine on the red table. Uh, Miss Rogue 1701, which I like it. Uh, 1701 is a Star Trek thing. Is Star Wars the Rogue or do you think it's DD? Doesn't matter. Anyway, this is from Reddit, our very first Reddit question. Uh, she asks, do you feel that the Mark races from Eberron are signs of power creep as they all seem more powerful than the others of their race, particularly if they're spellcasters? Um, are they a sign of power creep? Yes, but that's just because any new content coming out is going to be a little bit more powerful because they've established the baseline um, and they've filled up the baseline. So anything now is going to feel a little bit hybridy, 
which would be a little bit more powerful. Like I, I, I go with the mark of finding, I think it is with half orcs specifically, where it's kind of like a half orc with a little bit of ranger mixed in there because they've they've got some like hunt and survival skills in there. Um, that being said, I don't think that power creep is nearly as potent as it was in previous editions when they started adding new things. Um, I would, however, look at uh, the new races, not the marks from Eberron, but like the full new races and like uh, Ravnica and uh, uh, Theros and things like that. They like those are starting to get cross the line into a bit too much power creepy, in my opinion. Okay, hold on. How about this for for a, for an entlich? It's a blight blight. <laughs> No? Okay, I'll keep working on it. <laughs> it's you think a, it's too it, power creepy? Well, I'll, I'll say this, Dan. There are a lot of things out there, like Eladrin, that also have these crazy new powers that, that are kicking up. There are... All the stuff in Ravnica has got um, crazy things going on. I don't think that they're any more powerful than a Simic hybrid. Or the fact... Like, the Minotaurs are, are crazy, mm. right? Um, not everything is power creep because the Kobolds are really nerfed. Um, the the playable kobold races, but as far as as far as Eberron goes, I think that at this point, if you are playing in the Eberron world, you're not going to run into power creep. If you were to mix one of these races, these sub races, into a party that just has um, like players' handbook races, then they're going to stand out as being ridiculous and special. It's the same uh, reason that I don't like having a fighter and a ranger and a gunslinger in the same party. It just doesn't... It, one of these things is not like the other, right? Like, it's it's going to definitely feel strange and, and power creepish. I, 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 I agree with you that it'll feel strange, but I think they've done quite a good job. And I, I don't mean to be the Watsi apologist, but, like, I think they've done a pretty dang good job of keeping these things balanced. Um, with some very, very glaring exceptions, of course. But... Uh, I if I see a Simic hybrid lined up next to a Dragonborn, like there's not that big of a power difference between those two base races, right now. Um, uh, Miss Rogue did uh, say in in specific with other spell casting on top of, and that's because well, I think what they've done is they've added a lot of like spell abilities to these new sub races so uh, right no, no no but but these are not spells that you just can automate this is not like tiefling where you just freaking get it right this is an expanded spell list this exactly. does not mean more slots or more times a day that you can cast it it's just you have more access to certain kinds of spells to fit the theme of your dragon mark and it is a graduated system so it doesn't feel like when you have stuff that's unlocking at level seven mm, that doesn't that doesn't feel broken to me and I believe it is specifically. Oh, I, I got to double check this, but I think it's if you are already a spellcaster. I I don't think so. I think if you just meet the requirements to be able to cast it, like you could be a fighter with thirteen charisma and still casting charisma based spells, um, depending on your mark, right? Like I, I think that's that's kind of where they're going. Um, but I, I I you hit the nail on the head. You have to. Um, if, if your party really cares that much about it and you can't, you know, deal with one player having, you know, a little bit of an edge in one little way, 
um, like minuscule, super little, little way. Um, you as the DM or, or other players should be kind of understanding that the source of magic you get from your race plus the source of magic you get from your class are separate unless they say otherwise. So if you get the casting of that of light once per day, guess what? You get it once per day, my friend. Just because it's a it's a cantrip doesn't mean you're going to be able to cast it all the time. You get it once a day, even if you're a sorcerer. Just because it's it's there doesn't mean it's now part of your cantrip list. It comes from your race. You could do it once. So the, it, it, okay. So it says right in it. I'm looking at it now that you get spells of the mark if you have the spell casting or packed magic class features. The spells uh, on this list or on this table are added to the spell list of your spellcasting class. That's it. Your, oh, your fighter it, does not pick it up. Yeah, sure. So, like, I mean, it to, doesn't change much to me, for me. I, I, I uh, if if you put that in there, then yeah, sure. I mean, you probably have that at the cost of something else from the base class. Exactly. That's why it doesn't feel that power creepish to me. And yeah. even if it is more powerful than, say, a Dragonborn, which I think is an underpowered sub-race or, or race at all, then, I mean, that's fine. It doesn't matter. You're not that imbalanced because of the way that, that the math is flat, right? In 5th edition, it's not going to hurt you as badly. At least not yet. We're still seeing it creep. We'll see how far it gets. Mm-hmm. All right, Terry, it's your go. All right. I'll do, I'll do white table. 15. 15 on the white table. Um, that is... <laughs> you got another Pepperina. Uh, Pepperina. But she asks one specifically to Dan. What? Dan, Well, why do you put up with these two? You're better than that, man. <laughs> uh, glutton for Does this mean I get a rebuttal? <laughs> you'll get a rebuttal after Dan speaks his bullshit. Fuck you, Dan. <laughs> uh, glutton for punishment? No. Um... If, if I didn't keep these two under control, who the hell else would, I guess? If I wasn't the lightning rod for their ire, then it would just be on everyone else. So I'm really doing a community service here. <laughs> Wait a minute. Instead of Death Tyrant, it's Death Treant. I'm going to get it by the end of the episode. I'm telling you. You're going to get it by the end I'm, of the episode. I am thinking so hard about this, but it's just there's like three very specific components to this joke that you have to get. Yeah. <laughs> It's coming. It's yeah, because a, a, death treant, a death treant isn't petrified. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, oh, but a stone death treant is. What about what about a wallow willow? <laughs> I'm going to get there. I swear to God. It's coming, right? It's coming. <laughs> so my question. Anyways, Adam, I think it's your role. White- or Terry, are you going to do a rebuttal? No, Terry's doing a robot. Um, why Terry? does Dan, well do do I get to answer the question? Why does Dan put up with us? Yeah, why do you think Dan puts up with us? Why do I think Dan puts up with us? I think Dan, on a serious note, I think Dan recognizes that we are truly not bad people, and that you know we're he's accepted uh, that we're probably good to have around. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and also I think Dan puts up with us because we have people around us that we learn things from and I think Dan on some level truly admires us and that's why he puts up with us I I, th- I think my discord's no. cut out there was a silence there there was a there was a I, there's, I got a straight line here of, of pause <laughs> 
Uh, that Dan, you missed it. Dan said that he agreed with you 100. percent He wishes he could learn more from us. <laughs> it, it's more like learning what not to do. Right, <laughs> Adam. I you're, so you're hard t- that you give me hiccups. Uh, look, I can answer this question because otherwise, this podcast would be Dan by himself, not able to argue with Terry, not being made uncomfortable for other people's entertainment, and he wouldn't have a fucking pair of episode breakdown sitting in front of him. So it would be a whole <laughs> lot of uh for two hours. Yeah, that's so that's that's, that's closer welcome. to the accurate. That's that yeah. that's closer. <laughs> I think we're good for Dan. Like I like. With the, with the whole BDSM furniture thing, I'm like, dude, you stick that on Instagram, you market that, someone's going to buy those things for $10,000 a piece. You can bang out 10 of those a year. That's $100,000. But Dan's like, no, I don't want to do it. Dan, I'm like the little imp in your ear. I think both me and Ad, you don't have an angel and a devil on your side. You just have two devils on either side going, I have a devil and a demon. This is going to work. Okay. Here's a question. <laughs> Between the two of you, who's the demon? Who's the devil? I'm definitely the demon because I'm much more chaotic. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, we knew that immediately. Yeah, I guess that's true. Actually, that's not true. I am a Yugoloth. I am 100% for hire depending on which way someone wants to torture Dan today. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm rolling on the black table. Uh, 13. Uh, Oh, we got another Spidey Rich, uh, which is good. Let's cross some of these off. Other than Bernard the Bard, do you have anything that you put in every campaign? Oh, man, these are good questions. Adam, um, you want to go through the full list? Uh, no, we don't have time. Um, but some of the things that I will always put into a campaign, I've recently discovered an imp named Camion who might just be my total fucking id with no ego or super ego involved. He is just all about mischief and um, revenge. He, he is 100, was, like, okay... You, Mistress and Revenger, he's 100% your self-insert. Um, for the mischievous side of me, yeah, absolutely. He yeah. is, and you you can all thank my girlfriend Mieka for this. Hi, Mieka, thank you. You're torturing the world now. So here's the thing about Camion. Uh, Thanks, Mieka, you've tortured is, me. <laughs> Camion is all about making deals with people, and he will 100% tell the truth about everything unless... You start asking about what's on the fine print or what is assumed to be part of this deal. He won't get into it. You will get the face level thing and he will sit back and wait for the opportune time because he will always ask for a vague payment in return. Sometime in the future, when you least expect it, I'll need a favor. Or at some point, I'm going to need you to heal me. But he's going to wait until you have no hit points left and one health potion. And he's going to sit there and say... I, I stubbed my toe. As a matter of fact, he's going to walk up in front of you, ram his foot into a stone wall and say, ow, heal me. And you have to do it or he will come at you. And he has got some like serious freaking powers in the background. So like, I love Cam. He is just a landmine waiting for shit in the background. I also have a uh, dwarven uh, paladin that I absolutely love. Her name is Lady Ingle the True. And she mm. is in every single one of my campaigns. She will not tell a lie. And she is easily corruptible by the uh, party when whatever direction they go. So if they are lawful evil, she will go that way. If they're lawful good, she will lean that way. Her only thing is that she will not tell a lie. And she starts off usually in a place of weakness and will then start emulating the party and what they're up to. Uh, Mm. I'm trying to think of some other things. I always want elevators in all of my campaigns. They're always donkey (laughs) wheels with ropes. 
and platforms moving up and down cliff sides. <laughs> that is just a thing that I do. Well, something's uh, got to be nope. lifting our spirits up in Adam's campaign. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's uh, usually a, a, a green dragon, although it's often a blue dragon who has the ability to shape change. I know that's not standard to the chromatics, but they will get into it. Oh, that's a thing. Every dragon has two names. They've got their dragon name and then their their persona that they go by as well when they're yeah. shape-shifted. And so if you can pay close attention, you'll notice that they kind of line up in certain ways. Their their human name or, or their, their humanoid name is usually one or two syllables out of their dragon name. That sounds vaguely fantasy name-ish. So, um, for example, Parstrixelian the dragon went by Strix and he was uh, an Asimar. And nobody, nobody thought that was weird. So I do shit like that. I guess, yeah. I guess that's me. What do you guys have? I could keep going. I've got a lot, but what do you guys have? Dan, you can go first. Um, for the past twenty something years of me playing this game and DMing, I have kept a acid marked, uh, rusty great sword named Tetanus. Um, this is usually discovered in the first two or three sessions of the game, regardless of the level of the party. And it's an intelligent item, um, that's whole goal is to decay and rot. Um, so yeah, I, I put tetanus and everything. I love, I love the sword. I love his personality. Uh, I, I kind of play him like a, like the personality of the sword, I guess, is kind of like a slimy Joe Pesci. Um, he just he just wants to devour and decay everything and he's fairly uh, like he's got fairly low personality uh power to him um so usually with like a level one or two party uh the wielding him won't initially cause a lot of problems but he's about decay so things always look good at the beginning and you know it might be a little bit of a problem but we could deal with it but it just gets worse and worse and over time. And I've had I've had full parties uh, make it their mission to then free the barbarian from the greatsword after a year and a half of playing with tetanus. So uh, it's 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 a great little um, it's a great it I mean it's a great sword. So uh, both literally and figuratively. Um, I will also if I have a favorite character, I will almost always put them in. Um, my namesake on Instagram and everything, Oscar the Orc, is in every single one of my campaigns. I love him. Um, he's a big, dumb, brutish, uh, fighty barbarian type character. Um, and a new addition that will be popping up in every single one of my campaigns is, of course, Lachlan Jiminy Fidgens Boyle, um, who is a favorite <laughs> character Fuck. of mine. Uh, little vice loaded up uh, gnome investigator who's just world weary, but. Um, is trying to do the right thing because that's what his wife would want. Um, so that's, that's, I, I would put those guys in. And I mean, I, I kind of want to go through the list of like Mary and the Barbarian and Gage the Mage and <laughs> oh, those guys. Yeah. Warlock but, the Warlock. Yep. Yeah. He's one of my favorites as well. <laughs> oh God, it kills me. <laughs> but uh, that's me. Terry, what you got? Hold on, hold on. Before is, you go, Terry. Uh, before you go. The the Antlich's name is Ray. He goes is Raymond, but he goes by Ray, and he's Ray of Entreeblement. 
Oh, fuck off. Uh, it's the best that's, one Okay, yet. that's the it's one that first got a, a reaction, so you might have to go with that one. <laughs> okay, because so A, it's a necromancy spell. B, it's not quite petrifying, but it does weaken you, and 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 it is, um, it is you know, got a tree pun in it. If you didn't like yeah. that, I was going to go with Ray of Stickness. um oh my turn i guess hey um i I think i am the exact opposite of you two with this now you guys know from playing me i get so sucked into a narrative so sucked into a story i I try and make this fantasy game as real as possible i play too close to the traffic in this game i want to feel it i want to feel the fear i want to i want to feel the death when when things happen so that when contrasted the victories and the highs are so much higher and so i kind of have a principle that i put into all of my games which is i will never ever repeat a character i won't do it so for as a player, when my character Solomon Duke died, that character died for me forever. They are gone. And I will mourn them. And I love that character to death. Uh, but he is gone. But at the same time, I put that into my games as a DM as well. Because now you get to feel the, the, the ecstasy and the highs of when you truly save a character or you can enjoy every moment with them. But when that character is gone, they are gone. And I kind of take this from George R. R. Martin that says that you should mourn for the characters as though they were real. And I, and I truly believe that because I think when something is, is finite, uh, when you, when you can sense the, the delicacy of it, um, I, I think it exaggerates the emotion so much more. And for me, it sucks me into this game so much more when it's so much more real. So the thing that I carry to every game is the principle that I will never ever repeat a character. I guess the reason that I repeat it, I mean, you guys know that I do these big, dark, gritty, realistic campaigns. And you know, when people say, oh, how do you, how do you break that up when it starts to get really, really heavy? And a lot of people say, oh, have them go to a festival for a session or, or play, play a different board game for a week or whatever it is, right? Yeah. To mix it up. Instead, I just add something familiar and funny that everyone around the table is going to smirk at and go, oh, yeah, that was cool last time we ran into them. Let's play with this again. They're going to interact. They're going to see what's different. It's going to give them a break. And then I will fucking murder this character. Yeah, and what's what's funny is, but it, but I enjoy that style of play as well. So I've, I've played in, in, in a couple of different campaigns that, that Adam's DM'd and, and, and come across familiar characters. And it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable to do that. Uh, I, I really enjoyed doing that. Um, you know, it's just... It's just the opposite for me. Like, you know, when I run the game, that's all this. Uh, I like that. I like it to be fine. I like it to be one time. I think it, it just really exaggerates the emotion. But then there's something to be said of something familiar as well. It's, uh, you know, it, it, that's um, pleasant as well to experience. All right. Who's oh, a good example, guys. Sorry, that. before we move on real quick. The, yep. the biggest example of this, Adam, was when we played in your campaign and my character Titus's wife, Kogu, died. And when Kogu died, I swear to the D&D gods, I was welling up the table and I was like fighting back tears in that scene where I played this character and this character's wife had died because to me, I would never see that character again. To me, that person was gone forever. And that, it, it, it just blew it up. Like it, it was, it, it hurt so much, but hurt in a good way. Dan knows what I'm talking about. He makes BDSM furniture. But because that character Fuck. was gone truly forever, and uh, it it just made it that moment so much more special for me. Yeah, I I get that. And when it comes to the big character moments, the big deaths and whatnot, I won't bring them back. 
unless it is literally a sequel later in the same world and we're going to run into a ghost or you have the opportunity to resurrect someone and all the players are super into it, then I will revisit a character, especially if they're still alive, but they've just gone through hell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I did with, with everyone's favorite beloved uh, child goblin, Yormi, that everyone loves so much that we ran into him 17 years later. He had one arm and a hell of a backstory. <laughs> the like, accidental like, NPC that was never supposed to exist, but was a result yeah. of the deck of many things. It's unbelievable. Oh, I, and I think I've said this before on the podcast. When I joined your guys' group, I was told one big rule. Like, I, I kind of had carte blanche for character creation. Everything was good. But I had to be on board with one thing. And that was, if Yormi dies, we riot. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I, I I vividly remember Jamie leaning across the table at me at the bar saying, Dan, I know nothing about you. But if you're not on board with this, you could just fuck right off right now. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. That's that's such a Jamie thing to say, but that speaks to Jamie as well and how invested he was in that character, right? Because because exactly, to him, yeah. when Yormi was gone, he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Dan, it's your turn. Let's go with uh, White Table. White Ten. Uh, we've not done that one. Another Pepperino one. I swear to God, there's more than just three people that are asking us questions. Um, <laughs> Do you prefer exploring places, interacting with new NPCs, or combat the most while playing and or DMing? Okay. So which uh, which pillar is your favorite for playing? Which pillar is your favorite for DMing? Um, I'm going to answer the DMing one first because that's easier. Uh, my, my favorite thing to do is, uh, for me, it's the exploration pillar is, is probably my favorite. Um, I like throwing puzzles and... Uh, like chases and, and stuff like that at my party. Um, I, I, it's just the more fun to me. Like, like I like them to explore the map and, and that, um, now keep in mind that's heavily weighted with combat as well, which is kind of just my comfort zone, I guess it, it's not my favorite place to go. Um, I, I like, I like what exploration brings to the game, but, um, I know the combat side well, so I, 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 I try to have interesting combat as well. Um, as a player, it depends on who I'm playing with um, and specifically who is DMing. I know if I'm playing in a game with Adam, I can expect great puzzles and great exploration um, with some um, pretty dang good character role play and uh, mediocre combat. Um, if I'm playing with my Friday group, that's on its head and the the role playing is is decent the um combat is fantastic and tactical but the exploration is lacking so uh it, it i i play to the group i guess um but as a dm i i i really like building my exploration combat encounters terry what do you got love it Funny they were answering Pepperina's question. My phone just flashed up. She just likes my photo on Instagram. So thank you, Pepperina. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I truly enjoy, as a DM, I truly enjoy the role play aspect of the game. That probably doesn't surprise you guys. I truly enjoy the role play aspect of the game because I that's when I find the most enjoyable reactions from the players. And some of my favorite reactions are... When 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 a character appears, fuck, I hate that guy. I love that. If you can get if you can get a party of players to say fuck, I hate that guy, it means you've truly had an impact on them. If you can see true emotion on their faces, if you can see true investment, or if you can role play with a player 
And then finally, they start to do it back to you. After previously, they were so nervous, it means that you've really pulled them into the game and they really believe your story. They really invested in what you're doing. And I think it's, it's, it's a very face to face way of, of, of truly seeing commitment uh, to what you're trying to do for them. And I find that the most enjoyable part. Um, as a player, it kind of depends on the DM. For Adam's games, I truly enjoy, um, I think I, as a player, I truly enjoy the, the role play with Adam's games as well, because you have some of the most frustrating NPCs ever, Adam, but you, you also have some <laughs> of the most enjoyable, right? Like, yep. Dan probably agree with me. When, when you role play with Adam's NPCs, you truly get sucked in. Like, you really do. And he, and he'll yep. hurt you more than anybody will hurt you, but he'll give you that that, that victorious like ecstasy more than anybody else as well. And you get that through the characters. Some of the funniest moments I've had with Adam was uh, I'm staring at this guy with this big ginger beard and I'm flirting with him because of his character. And we're both going, and he won't back down. He'll just do it. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. But it gets so sucked in. But on the opposite side, it, when I played uh, Call of Cthulhu with Dan, I was so blown away by the exploration part of it. To be to to be up in the Yukon and the way you kind of built that that area. I'd never been to the Yukon before. Uh, I'd I'd love to go, but you really built that area up for us, and I truly felt immersed in the in in the setting and where we were, um, in that in that horror style campaign. And so the exploration side, I really enjoyed there. Um, it's usually role player exploration. It's not that I don't enjoy combat. Um, it's just not my f- favorite part of the game, but I still really enjoy it. It's just. Uh, you know, when it's time to do it, it's time to do it. All right, first of all, this is the first I've ever heard that my combat's mediocre. Dan, I'm not even <laughs> mad at you. I want to note what, what makes it what makes it not as much fun as your, your Friday night group. What do they the, do that's more tactical? Uh, so, when Adam, when you're throwing in co- uh, combat, it I, I don't know how to put this without sounding like a dink. Uh, you, so... Uh, with the with the Friday night group, uh, we have um, we usually use very detailed uh, battle maps. The combat is the focus for the for the night because it's a very tactical combat heavy game. So um, everyone at the table's min maxed. Everyone at the table is like we're 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 going in with with combat in mind. In your games, um, combat is the the it, it's the third of the pillars. It's not it's. And it's very, very clear to me when I play in your games that combat is the third of the pillar because uh, or is the third of the pillars because you build up exploration and role playing so well um, that combat often kind of feels like a bit of an afterthought as well. Um, You also um, a lot of the combats we've had now, this is not all of them, but a lot of them are just kind of like, here's the guy. He will fuck your shit. Um slugfest right so at um i think the main thing i'm saying now i'm backpedaling and i understand that um the main thing i'm saying (laughs) is the your your combats are mediocre because they're a bit of an afterthought when you're building sessions uh you don't build sessions to combats you build sessions for interesting exploration interesting role-playing opportunities um that have combat mixed in because let's be honest the mechanics in this game are built towards combat, so we should have some combat. But your focus is not. Whereas my Friday night group, um, quite often, combat is such a heavy focus that when we're hit with role playing and we're hit with exploration, 
everyone at the table is like, oh shit, what do we do with this? Uh, crap. Um, and it, it, it like it's a bit lackluster in on my Friday night group because of that reason. No, I mean that look, that's fair. Combat is honestly boring in fifth edition. I don't like it. To answer the question, like my favorite thing to do, hands down, is role playing. Both as a dungeon master and a role and as a as a player. Like I'm I'm into it. I I have an acting background. I want to get into it. I want to talk to people. I want to figure shit out. Um we tell stories. Objects and swords clashing are not stories. Even when we talk about really cool set piece encounters and combats, it's still set pieces. They're interesting because of the exploration. So role playing is my number one, always. Exploration is my number two, always. And combat is a damned afterthought because there is really no difference between a, a projectile weapon that does 1d10 damage and a spell that does 1d10 damage. The 5th edition math for combat is boring. We bitch about it in every dragon episode, right? The yep. dragons mechanically suck. Just because they have big numbers doesn't mean they're interesting. And so I struggle with, with what to do with them. So my enemies are enemies that you got to hunt down. If they're worth even remembering, they're enemies that you have to interact with in some way, or it's a crazy environment. That's what you remember. You remember the upside down, sunken, undead pirate ship in the afterlife more than you remember any of the enemies on that ship, because that is what made that a set piece, right? You remember the big, bad, evil guys and the super villains because they tormented and taunted. And when you finally hunted them down, then it was worthwhile. That was the moment. You don't remember who did what in the battle. You remember they got their comeuppance. Here yeah. was the killing blow, right? And so it also, I mean, I don't play with tables of min-maxers. I don't. We make fun of Dan for even being remotely proficient with combat, right? Because nobody else is. They look at the spell list <laughs> and go, I didn't, I, I just didn't take a combat spell. Huh. I'm, I'm an evocation wizard and the closest thing I can cast is something with difficult terrain, right? <laughs> like... These are the parties that I play with. My my giant sneaky rogue in the last game was a, was a mastermind rogue that could technically do do sneak attack damage, but had almost no hit points, yeah. and showed and showed up for role playing purposes because that's what mastermind rogues are for, right? Like, and so I I like that. I lean in that direction. I'm very much going to start adding that shit in as well because um, the other thing that we've been struggling with. As far as, as lackluster combat, we have been stuck in tier four for fucking months. Yeah. And there was nothing interesting to do in there besides throw 10,000 minis on the table or the one big bad guy that will kill one character and then everyone else will will drop it. They will kill one character if they have enough hit points to, to last three rounds. And that's it. Yeah. Tier four I've is been... hard to balance combat. And so that's uh, it's not my defense because honestly, combat is a hurdle. It is what you do to get to the next part of the story. Yeah. So that, and that's my perspective on it. That's why I don't play 3.5. I played min maxing. I've done tactical gaming. I'm not interested in it. If I want to do that, I'll play chess. Well, that's why I've so. been sitting down for a while and telling you, Hey, I want to play a game from level one with you DMing it. Cause I want to see what kind of, you know, hijinks a character with eight hit points could get into on an Adam campaign. Yeah, the other thing that I was super aware of was the fact that, um, and I played every single kind of demon that exists in Dungeons and Dragons. I ported some over from 
3.5, and 4th edition to be able to fill 108 different rooms, each with a unique demon. And they all ran exactly the same in 5th edition. The thing that was different was how big is the room? Do they have furniture to hide behind? Does it fly? These are exploratory things. Will they trick you and talk to you? That's role-playing. But other than that, guess what? Your fire spell won't work. Hit that fucker before he tries to escape. And that's it. That's all there is to it. So I am really bored with the monster manual. Volos, Mordenkainen's, and the shit in the campaign event, like the uh, modules. Excellent. Super flavorful. The campaign settings, Ravnica, and, and I've been looking into Theros and Eberron. Really cool monsters. Very flavorful. Very interesting. But the monster manual just... The monster manual is a limp dick to me. That's all it is. I think that is, uh, that, whose turn is that? That's Terry's turn. That's my turn? Red Table 12. Red Table 12. <sighs> Jesus Christ, we're going to knock all the pepperinas off. I swear, there were only like six on all three tables, and we've hit three of them. Um, so that is, Adam, what events from your past made you the evil genius you are today? That's two turns in a row. I got a question directed to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there is one on here directed to you. So you ask that question again, day. Adam, and I'll see how I can. Uh, I'll obviously I'll let you answer yeah. it, and I'll see how I can get involved. Okay, Adam, what events from your past made you the evil genius you are today? <laughs> well, I don't know, but I'm interested in the story. Hmm. I think it was that vat of acid you were dropped into as a child. <laughs> All right, no, you want to know? I'll give you the legit answer. I was going to be like. Or your, was like, it the, like the, the eclipse you were born under? It was, it was generations and generations of selective breeding from the, the cruelest and, and the most intelligent. No, okay, so here's, here's the real answer. Here's the real answer. Uh, when I was a kid, I had really bright red hair and a ton of freckles. That got your ass kicked <laughs> a lot. I got yep. bullied. Like, I had freaking, like... I had a bloody nose three times a week. Like I got my really? ass whooped. So I had I had to get smart because I wasn't tough. Oh, you're um, Tyrion and... Lannister. Oh yeah, because I got picked on until my I would I was smarter than them. My mouth got me into trouble, and then I had to learn how to how to use it to get me out of trouble. And I'm I'm pretty good at it. So um, I'm fast talking and quick on my feet for role playing because I understand people's perspectives and I know their motivations and I want them to uh, to do what I want and what I and not do what I don't want. So that's that's the real answer. Also, um, I listen, and that's so important. Yeah, no one in the world listens anymore, and you can't just listen to what's being said. Observe. Everybody has, and I'm not talking about like tells for poker on this, body language, tone of voice. I hate talking through text and I end up, you guys know this. When I send you a message, hey guys, we're doing an episode this week. It's nine paragraphs long because I feel the need to be clear because text has zero nuance, right? And so I require a bigger vocabulary to get my point across. I just don't trust that people understand what I'm trying to say if I'm not in a room with them. Yeah. So... Um, so I listen and I observe and I pay attention more to what people aren't saying and how they're saying it. The long responses um, or the long pauses between responses. Like there's more to observing than hearing the words. 
these are complicated people that despite their intelligence level or their emotional intelligence or their psychological damage, they are as complex as you. Do not think for a second that you are better than anyone else. They are better than you in other ways. Listen yeah. and you will learn from them. And and that is how that is how I get by on all of my D&D shit. And like and all of my acting stuff and and all my strategy is like sometimes it is good to lose because failure is failure is a a event. It's not a status and it's not who you are. I am not a failure. I have had things fail upon me. That is a learning experience. And sometimes I do it on purpose to see what happens. <laughs> Man, that was a re- that right. was really great answer. <laughs> that was a really great answer. But I, there's there's one big takeaway is that Adam is Tyrion Lannister. And if Adam is Tyrion Lannister, who's Jamie and who, uh, sorry. Wow. Okay. Who's Terry and who am I? <laughs> Out at the, in the Game of Thrones universe? Yeah. If Adam is Tyrion, I have a special I? kinship with the Hound. What? Tell me why. No, you are not nearly. No, Coffee Bitch Dave is the Hound. Coffee Bitch Dave will just get his. He will end up bleeding in valleys somewhere. Stand up, walk through the wilderness for ten months, and then show up and then call everybody the Sea Bomb and keep walking. Okay. You are not. You are not the Hound. You are Ned on, Stark. This. Yeah, Dan is pretty close to Ned Stark. I would oh, even yeah. say what what was Samuel Tarley's? Oh, he might be Samuel Tarley. Hey, you love your books, and hey, Samuel got the best kills in the first six seasons. And you're very loyal. I. That's that. That is very true. Uh, my other option would have been like uh, what was his name? Derek Dondarian or whatever his name is. Barrack Dondarian. Barrack. Yeah, Barrack. Yeah. No, I, I think that you're, you're Samuel's brother as well because he was the one that was like, no, I'm going to stand by my dad in the face of this dragon even though we lost the battle. This is the right thing to do and I'm standing up for my morals and, and he got toasted for it. And you do that all the time. You stand up to your, for your morals with Terry and I and we fucking roast you. Yep, so, that's true. <laughs> Terry wants to be Tywin Lannister. Tywin. But in yeah. reality... that's Adam, man, you hit the nail on the head that I've been racking my brain trying to think who it is, but you're right. I think I want to be Tywin. Yeah. In reality, in reality you're Rob who? Stark. Why Rob Stark? Yeah, I was thinking Rob Stark too. Why yeah, do you think I'm it's Rob all, Stark? It's all for honor and good. You will do the dumb thing for the right reason. You <laughs> you would totally sabotage your entire army because of a pretty girl. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I don't like you guys getting inside my brain so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit just got real didn't it terry we hanging out the did, phone now do you know what it, <laughs> it did and you, you did well because you were like you want to be tywin lannister and do you know what especially because i was just asking you about strategy earlier and you can tell that I, I rack my brain gearing towards that but i also pay attention to what other people do uh, and then, but then you twisted. He said, "You want to be Tywin Lannister, but you're actually Rob Stark." It's like, "Fuck, that might be true." <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that. Uh, now I'm trying to figure out who Dan would want to be. Dan wants to be Jon Snow. No, I want to be Ned Stark. Sometimes I'm more like Brienne of Tarth, though, in that I am very stubborn, 
and I'll keep. And you keep, have the same haircut. And I have the same haircut. Yes. Yeah. And it, <laughs> but I'll also keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, and like it, keep getting knocked down, keep getting knocked down. I'll keep going, and it's not out of like some incredible ability or something. I I'm just that idiot that won't stop when they probably should. Um, but maybe more Rob Stark, yeah. Well, the only reason I said, see, that's, that's the same reason I picked Rob Stark. The only reason I picked Rob Stark is because he was, he was really, really good at strategy and combat. What he was good at, he was a master of. Yeah. But as someone who has DM'd you, and I'm speaking specifically Dungeons and Dragons now, you would consistently fall for the trap that was laid for you. Oh man, you're so right with that. Do you know what? I would have, and I even, I was going through the characters in my brain and, you know, I was flipping through them like a game and he went by real fast in my mind. I went, nah, there's no way. And then when you said it that way, you're right. Oh man. But that is specifically Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Dan in Dungeons and Dragons is, um, is Ned Stark. Man. I think if I wanted to be anybody, it would be the Onion Knight. Ooh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Why, Dan, why do you want to be the Onion Knight? I always want to know the reasons why for things. He's a straight shooter. He is. Uh, he has no right to be where he's at, mm-hmm. but he is there by his wit, by his uh, guile, and by the relationships that he chooses to build. Um, he's he, also unwavering when it comes to doing the right thing. And, and he's also unwavering when it comes to doing the right thing. Exactly. Yeah. He's yeah. got, he's like, in my, in my opinion, he's one of the most moral characters in all of Game of Thrones. And I've, I've got no one to respect for him for that. And do you know what's funny? Not that we're going to go dive too deep into that universe. You're right. He is one of the most moral characters in that universe, but he's overlooked because everybody looks to the nobles in that world for the, for the moral characters, you know, who ha- who has the best values, but we're looking at all to all of the leaders but if you just look mm-hmm. to the man who stood to the right hand side of the leader, it's really it's him. Yeah. Well, the the thing that sold me not to go too long on this, but the the thing that sold me on the Onion Knight was uh, when he was defending his reason for, uh, you know, being with Stannis and and following Stannis around everywhere. He's all like, "Yeah, he he might have cut off my fingers, but I paid that price, and uh, he's my king." So, yeah. I like think it, that I'm Tyrion Lannister, but I want to be Jack and Hakkar. Well, he I was think the, you uh, kind of, he, I think you play into that he, a little bit as well, talking about what you just described. Um, uh, but yeah, for me, still Tyrion. But but why why Jack and Hagar? Because Jack and Hagar could slip into any situation. He was always the master of anything. Tyrion got by on his wits and could negotiate and so on and so forth. Jack and could get in and out of any situation bar none and never failed yeah that's right cool okay uh whose turn is it (laughs) that was terry so that's me i'm going to choose we've done the shit out of the red table um i'm gonna look at the black table uh that's a three have we done a three yet i don't think we have um (laughs) this is from it's graham's life hello graham how are you um and he asked honestly i just want to know how you're all doing in the wake of covid um i guess that's me huh yeah shit things are about to get dark it has not been good for me it has super not been freaking good for me 
I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna like dig too hard into this, but like COVID kicked off and my dad died. Not from COVID shit, but mm-hmm. funeral homes are closed and we can't fucking deal with it. And there's no closure, and I'm off work with nothing to do but bother other people about the podcast. So, <laughs> um, so not great, but we're coming out of it, and I've got a positive attitude, and I'm through <laughs> the dark times. So. <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> Do you want to go or me? Uh, go ahead, Terry. I think I see both sides of this. COVID was... Uh, do you know what? We heard about this buildup for so long, but then all of a sudden it seemed to happen so quickly, right? It was in a period of three days in Canada that it was, uh, oh, it's getting bad, it's getting bad. Everything shut down the entire economy. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the company I work for, I won't go too deep into this, but, you know, it, it was hard for me as well. I was very lucky to get rehired. A uh, condition of me being rehired was to take a very, very hefty pay cut as part of that. And so me and, you know, the rest of, of our nation is, is trying to find work and, and swallow their pride and find different ways to, to make ends meet at this time. So in that sense, it's been very, very difficult. In, in that two months that we were locked down, though, the, the, the positive sides were we had nothing to do but think, right? Think, reset. Okay, this is our time to change what we want to change. What do I need to fix? What, what, is, what am I not doing right? Who am I ignoring who should be important to me? What do I need to learn that I've not taken the time to learn before? And I did a lot of learning. I, did, I, I learned areas of business. I learned areas of uh, personal development. I reassessed relationships. I, I totally got people out of my life that I thought were 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 toxic and were, were not going to be uh, good for me going forwards. I made sure that when I came out of COVID-19, I was surrounded by only people that were going to bring me positivity. Congratulations, guys. You two, get, you two made the cut. <laughs> um, but... Thanks. But, that's why. That's why we haven't heard from Brad in a while. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> but, but 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 we all went through very very difficult times during COVID, and every we're not even anywhere close to back to it. And there was very hard things that we're all still going through. But for me, there was a lot of positives in the end. I'm glad that we're coming out of it now because I don't know how much longer I would have lasted. Um, but uh, yeah, it was hard, but there was a lot of positives for me. Um, yeah, look, hold on before you answer, Dan. I agree with Terry about learning stuff, but mine was a big fucking soul-searching thing. The thing that I've learned during COVID in my hard times was to appreciate the people around me. I give I give my friends a lot of shit, and I hope they realize it's because I love them and not because I actually yeah. dislike them. Um, when, when I stop teasing you, it means I don't like you. <laughs> Man, you must freaking love me. Good God. That's true, exception. though, right? Because it's true, though, because when we do that to each other, we're, what we're doing is we're, we're we're asking for a response, right? We're saying, "Hey, yeah. I've I've decided that of all the people in the world tonight, I've decided that I just want to be next to you for a few hours, if that's okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tease you a little bit because what I'm trying to do is get you to talk to me." And and what do you think? Break it down. That's really what we're doing. I heard a phrase one time that said, "We always hurt the ones you love," and I went, "Good idea." <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Um, so for, for then me, I bought some of Dan's furniture, so, <laughs> Hey, um, uh, for me during this whole COVID thing, um, it's, I, 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 not to kind of break the mold here, but it hasn't really affected me much. Um, I have spent much of the last year off of work because of various injuries, 
uh, between knee surgery, back surgery, uh, um, a heart related thing that happened uh, a while ago. Um, you also had so, back knee surgery. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, gross. Uh, so like being off work for a little bit of, uh, a little bit wasn't weird to me. Um, especially when I have someone like Adam, who's all like, Hey, we're both off record all the things. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like I got kids. So the, the big thing for me was, Hey, I just got to spend more time with my kids. And I mean, I've got, I've got an anxiety disorder. So like there, there's, there's been a lot of fear and trepidation in my life in the past little bit. Um, it, it, especially with, uh, COVID and the, the chaos going on down South. Um, but, um, my kids are kind of that, that centering rod for me. And, and if, if I'm ever out of it, I, I know I could, you know, wrestle with my son or, or color or play D and D with my daughters. Like it, there's, there's always that kind of centering thing I have there. And my wife is utterly fantastic and we get along and we've been playing a lot of world of Warcraft together. So like I, it had the, the time off has been kind of cathartic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, especially since I've been running hard since about October when we were doing call of Cthulhu, we've been running really, 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 really hard. Um, so I got, I got a bit of a break, which was nice. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to it. Like you guys are, um, as we're looking at fun, new shows and stuff to throw your guys way, as well as, you know, my normal off mic life of work and trying my best to be the best dad I can be. So. Awesome. Man, it got deep in this episode, didn't it? we got a lot of good questions. <laughs> Yeah, let's not take any more questions from It's Graham's Life, okay? <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I think this is my last go now, isn't it? No, you get two more. I got a six on the white table. You say on the row white table because you couldn't make up your I, I was literally trying to figure it out as I was rolling. So the white okay. table. Uh, Bill, uh, I'm not going to drop a last name here. He's uh, from Facebook. Says, what are some good questions for players at Session Zero? That would help in the planning of a campaign. This, so this is specifically not, you know, the the safety and the um, the emotional um, safeguards and communication that we talk about in session zero, but about what should a DM ask in order to plan a campaign. But real quick, I think a really good thing um, to ask your players and kind of yourself as you're planning a campaign is. Um, what have I imbibed recently that has inspired me that I felt excited about? Have you seen a really good movie? Have you read a really good book? Have you told a really good story? Uh, or have you been told a really good story? Uh, what is it that has kind of lit that spark of creativity that you want to fan into flame? Um, and yeah, that's good. But what, what questions do you ask your players? No, no, I would ask that as well. I would ask that okay. of my players and be like, "Hey oh, guys, what 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 has what has kind of got your motor running right now?" And no, I don't mean uh, Dan's special BDSM furniture on sale now at uh, Oscar <laughs> underscore the underscore orc <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, no, uh, what what is really drawn to you? Like, do you guys want to play? And and this goes to the: Do you want to play a pirate campaign? Do you want to play a horror campaign? But like. I, I might even get more specific to be like, hey, guys, what do you think of, like, exploring the different levels of the hells? 
right? Like, cause I, I just watched Dante's Inferno or I just watched, uh, something. Dante's, I just watched Dante's Inferno is very different than Dante's peak. Just throwing that out yes, there. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I just watched this and I really want to explore the different levels of hell. I, I recently played God of War, the new one. So I really want to dive into Norse mythology. Can we do that? Right? Like, figure it out. Yeah. Was he Norse? Wasn't it? Was, was no, like the newest one, he goes up and kills Norse gods. Because he's, oh, okay. he's made his way through the Greek and the Roman and everything Video games are for people that don't have a and d group. Next. That was a hot take. Terry, do you have, <laughs> do you have a, an, an answer? What are some good yeah, questions for um, I mean, I mean, zero? We, we've gone over this in length with lots of different questions. But two big questions for me is uh, uh, to ask people, uh, uh, when you go home after D&D and you speak to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom, dad, your dog, and you want to tell them about the best experience that you had at D&D that night, what are the types of things you want to tell them? Because it'll tell you about what they truly imagine to be their highlights. And you'll find out whether it's, you know, uh, the detail of how scared they were when they were exploring the caves or the victory of, of killing the dragon or the lich or whatever, or the, the, the role-playing and the hilarious encounters they had with their friends. And then consequently, I'll ask them, if you were to go home and you had the worst night of D&D ever and you were going to tell your boyfriend, girlfriend, mom, dad, dog uh, what happened that night, what would be the, the possible worst night you would have at D&D? And that will tell you exactly what they do not want. Uh, and what they hope does not ever happen in your campaign. And it'll give you very extreme answers, but it'll, it'll, it'll certainly highlight the direction that those people do not want to go in. Fantastic response there, Terry. I'm getting good at this. Um, honestly, I'm not going to be able to add much more without just having some sort of snarky answer. Um, so I would say I'd be interested in talking about how gritty people want to want to be um how much the journey is worth it do you want to see redemption campaigns or falls from graces like i want to i want to ask for themes more than more than plots right because it doesn't matter if i'm doing curse of strahd or storm king's thunder these players will take these characters and go on an emotional journey and sure the plot and the setting may affect the details but in the end you're going to listen and observe, or at least I would. I will listen and observe what, what they've got. I'm going to respect what they want. And then I'm going to, you know, ap- apply what I can so that they've got the most fulfilling. I do not mean most fun. The most fulfilling experience by the end of the campaign. Now, I that's a big difference for me. I'm about cathar- catharsis. I'm not about escapism. That's me when it comes to D and D, and there's that's a whole topic for another episode. But um, I'm all about at the end of the day. You guys know this. When I'm done running a D and D session, you guys feel exhausted, but you're yep. but you got a smile on your face, right? But there, it should nine times out of ten, you got a smile on your face. Sometimes it's a cliffhanger, or you guys just straight up fucking lose. But you know that there's going to be a win coming down the pipeline that's going to be even bigger, right? There will be payoff. So for me, it's about it's about the theme. What do these players want to deal with? And there will be some players that want to be paladins that save the day from the undead, and there will be players that want to be alcoholics that spiral out and and have one final redeeming moment, sacrificing their lives to save everyone else. People like different things. Find out who's at your table, and find a way to blend and braid them and mix them together. Yeah. So that that's my answer. And remember. 
the key is compromise and consistency. With those two things, if you, you will keep it fair and everyone will be happy. Who was that? That was Dan. Terry. That was what? me, Terry. Back to me. Okay. Uh, I'll go. I'm going to do white table. White table for two. I think I did that already. Two. You did. Yeah, we've done that. Roll again. I think it was white table 19. Hmm. White table 19. We have not done that. Uh, at Dale Critchley asks Werewolves and PCs. Once infected, how do you let them know? Do they know right away or only when the moon is full? What time of night does the full moon transform them? Dusk? The moment of sundown? Midnight? Do they have chances of raising the evil once transformed? He's really excited about, about lycanthropes. Brilliant. I love this question because now you've made a game within the game. Okay, now you have almost a skill challenge. Okay, because when do they know? Well, you don't automatically know, right? Maybe not um, because you won't necessarily know that that's what bit you. I mean, you may know if it was a werewolf, but there's different ways that this this can occur. And so now it becomes intelligence checks, it becomes nature checks, it becomes medicine checks based on what's going on. You can get other party members involved. It, it, this this can be something that can escalate with regards to like, maybe they think it's some sort of blood disease or, or something's changing with them. The cleric's got to come over and do a medicine check and you can build it up over time as a puzzle. Um, it doesn't need to be, oh, you are now a werewolf. Um, it, it should be built up over time. And then, and then the next part of the question was, was when do they transform? Yeah, what time of night or, or uh, do they rely on the full moon? Do they know beforehand, right? Is it dusk? Is it the moment of sundown? Is it midnight? Right. Um, and this is, between universe to universe, this is something that changes anyway. So it, it doesn't matter as long as it's consistent. If you know that this is going to be something that you're going to introduce to your introduce to your game, whatever decision you as the DM make, you just need to be consistent with it. So that I don't think there's a right or wrong answer because all of the different universes that have ever uh, had this type of thing in are, going, are going to be different. Just be consistent with it, but really, really triple down on that idea that somebody is changing. And it doesn't need to be werewolves and were-ravens and the like. You can do the same as, you know, if somebody was going to become a, a zombie or, or, or a vampire spawn or anything. It become part of the game. It's not just, you are now a vampire spawn. Something's changing over time. There's that old trope, right? If the person that gets bit by the zombie that tries to hide it, put that in your game. What a tremendous side quest you have right there. And do you think that they should have the chance of, uh, he says, raising the evil once transformed? So once they get bitten, can they can they at will change into a werewolf? For me, I like I don't like to take the agency away from players, but I like to have a challenge that is that is fair. So I like the idea of including that no, they don't get to decide when to change, but they know when they are going to change. I mean, once you've done it the first time, you know, right? Whether it's at the moon's highest point or, or dusk or whatever, because then that gives you something for the party to work around. That's an additional dynamic to work around without stealing the whole plot, right? Because everybody's got their bullshit, you know? When, when we all played together, Dan's character was addicted to just about everything that you could be addicted to. And that was, that was a <laughs> dynamic that our party worked around. At the same time, you could have somebody that was going to change to a were-raven at the stroke of midnight every night. That's another dynamic to work around. So as long as you're consistent with it, 
um, and as long as that it doesn't steal away from everybody else's enjoyment, um, I think it's good to to to, uh, to have it so that the the character doesn't change at will. That it's a, that it's a flaw that they have to work around and have to try and see how they can make it an advantage. Dan, do you have any any opinions on this? Um, I yes, but Terry knocked them all out of the park. Uh, it it really depends on. Um, when you as a, uh, like, I, I would definitely talk to my player about it and, and figure out exactly which one they want to do. If that's a possibility, I don't want to, like Terry said, I don't want to remove agency from the player and just be like, oh yeah, by the way, you're a werewolf now. Um, but I, I, I would definitely, um, keep an open communication with my player and then, um, once I kind of give them a rough idea of what's going down, they seem interested, then I will, um, by having paid attention to them and slowly roll it out, do it as a small side quest or something. So that's me. Yeah, fair enough. Look, honestly, Terry's right. It's going to be different for every every campaign um, and for every different scenario. Be consistent. I hate the fact that this is a curse that can be undone with the freaking spell. Move that seems- Agreed. That seems cheap to me. So my big thing is, yeah, man, make it a mystery. And then once they've figured it out, I do not want them stepping on the toes of barbarians and choosing to rage out. I do not want them stepping on the toes of druids and deciding that they're good or shifters and deciding that they're going to get into their bestial form. Right. That shit to me is, is unnecessary. And you're essentially, see, we played with someone who got turned into a vampire in two campaigns now. And they are so overpowered compared to everyone else, even at level 20. That's right. That it is unfair. So you're going to imbalance the party. So here's here's my thing. I would have it every time that they spill blood, they have to roll percentile dice. And, you know, a zero to five transforms them anytime they get they take damage they roll percentile dice and any uh one to ten they take damage right like whatever it is i I want there to be a chance that that they're going to turn right so um they have no control about it when it happens they roll a d6 to see how many turns before they can get back into control or they have to roll a charisma save to use their force of will in order to, to get over it. Like whatever it is, there's going to be a mechanical thing where they cannot control themselves and they get something like you have to attack the closest living creature. Yeah. Um, and you attack with your, um, you try to do the most damage all of the time to the point where they are dead. And keep in mind that every time that they bite another PC, that PC is now affected. By the time that this quest is halfway through, the entire party should be werewolves. Spread the disease. No social distancing for lycanthropes. <laughs> I love it. I, I like what you said there, actually. I kind of, I like the idea that, you know, maybe if you take damage, you have to roll a d6 or something, you'll automatically turn. Um, I like that interesting dynamic there. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be for the rest of the night or whatever, right? But then here's my other thing. Oh, there's a full moon. Bitch. Eberron has 12 moons. What the fuck are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Right? So I, I think that it should trigger the first time when there is the first full moon that comes about. But these are fantasy settings, man. Do your damnedest. Um, 
That brings us to me. I'm going to roll uh, five on the red table. I had to pick the longest freaking one. Um, Tyler.Colma. Did I get that right? Nope, Coleman. Tyler.Colman says, Hey guys, I really fucking love your content and particularly love your DM styles and the horribly terrifying shit you guys come up with for your players. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> Thank you. I That's our goal. I was hoping I could get some advice from a player perspective. I'm playing an evil campaign with my buddies and one of the players and I are two level five wormling dragons. I'm red and he's green. These are homebrew things that he found on the internet. I'm looking for some tips on how to play a compelling young red dragon or how you guys would try to play up to be an asset to the party with the fun role play angle. So he's looking at role playing from a player's perspective as a red dragon wormling. Um, man, I, for me, it's the ego. Yeah. It, it just has to be ego and your, you should look at the rest of your party as your horde. Right. They, they should be the ones that these are your servants for now. You think of them as that. You don't tell them that until you'll be powerful enough to kill them. The green dragon especially is going to be a threat. So you'll probably have to kill him at some point before he becomes an adult. But that's, you know, 120 years down the road. Uh, but for now, they're useful tools that are helping you gain power. And I would just straight up be an egomaniacal, total fucking psychopath all of the time to enemies. Remember... You're smarter, you're meaner, you're stronger, and you know it. You guys want to weigh in? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've uh, for for uh, for me, what I would uh, I, I agree, it's ego, but it is also um, remember you are still a wormling, and and you are a member of a party, uh, so you might view them as your horde. Um, or you might view them as a uh, tool to use. But at the end of the day, I think I would play the young Wormling Dragon having actually formed friendship, authentic friendship with the people in your party. I understand it's an evil campaign, but roll with me here for a minute. Having formed that friendship and then um, have one of the interesting, compelling parts of this character as he grows up and his ego grows more and grows um, a little bit more uh, pronounced. He's battling this this uh, almost genetic drive to um, assert his own dominance over everyone, including his friends. Um, so, so I, I would have him like authentically be friends with them, and then start just putting himself above the party in some ways. Not enough to cause drama at the table, but like like authentic ways around the, like in the actual character to do it. Um, playing a dragon's hard, especially as a PC man, like this, this is a mountain of a task and more power to you for giving it a try. Um, especially in a party game. If it was a one-on-one session, it would be a different matter, but, um, because it's the party game and you're playing the most egotistical creature in Dungeons and Dragons, except for maybe a beholder. Like you, you could convince me that Drow and and uh, Mind Flayers are up there too, but yeah, yeah, you're right. It's one of the big ones. So, so that doesn't really play as a conducive, like doesn't play conducively with a uh, party. And now you and a green are for some reason in with a party. Like it's it's a it's a mountain of a task, and more power to you for giving it a try. Um, yeah, that's that's me. 
Yeah, this really got my mind going with the whole idea of nurture versus nature. Because now if you have a if you have a red dragon wormling, a red dragons we know are known to be to be arrogant, to be to be elitist, to, to look down on everybody and and have that huge ego. But where does that come from? If you remove the parent that conditions them to think that way, what happens then? Maybe that arrogance or, or that, that feeling of power is inherent. Maybe, but I think you can use, look on your character sheet here with this. If you're playing a red dragon wormling, look at your ideals, look at your flaws, look at, look at what we can manipulate here to, to, to have maybe not necessarily a redemption story, but, but, see what wisdom is going to bring this character um, as they mature are you going to lean into the ideals of a red dragon that's been conditioned to have that ego and and, and to be that elitist or is the path of this red dragon going to change based on the people uh, that it's around now this person did say it's an evil campaign I think so I think just lean into to the nurture uh, of that ego but also remember this is a wormling and so they haven't learned the lessons that they would learn from their parent so if they have this ego and this elitist attitude but they haven't learned the life lessons and, and and have that wisdom to not make mistakes then this becomes a huge flaw because as a wormling you now assume that you are better and more powerful than everything around you and if you're in an evil campaign you're going to get yourself into trouble so use a major flaw of this this dragon hasn't learned the lessons that it would learn if it had a parent around that's interesting i like i like the idea of maybe the party around you Filling those parental roles. Yeah. Like, for example, the Red Dragon's Rage mimics the barbarians. The yes. egotistical and better than you mimics the bard. Right? Like, I think that that could be really neat. Yeah. Okay, I like Dan. Your last question. Uh, roll on the red table. Red 11. Red 11. <laughs> the other Tyler Dot Coleman question. Um, and check check this out. Remember, remember, I said if you send us a question, we will answer it. So bear with me on this because he says, I'm playing an evil campaign with my buddies and one of the players and I are two level five wormling, wormling dragons. I'm red and he's green. I'm looking for some tips on how to play a compelling young red dragon or how you guys would try to play up to be an asset to the party with a fun role-playing angle. Do you guys have any ideas or advice for a newer player who wants to have fun with, uh, or who wants to make this as fun as possible for his party without being that guy who's playing a selfish, anger, I am fire and death, murder hobo of a dragon. So, Tyler. Wait, what just happened? Write a question once, not twice. <laughs> I, think, I think he asked this like three months before on a previous mailbag quest. And of course, we just, if we don't hit it, we, we roll it over to the next one. Right. So he yeah. ended up with... So there we go. Cheap and easy. We've answered it twice. Um, I guess, do you have anything, Any? what should he avoid doing? What's the one thing? Real quick, Dan. What's the uh, one thing burning you should up, avoid doing? Uh, targeting your own party, uh, like your fellow party members with a fire breath. Yeah. Uh, my answer is don't let your rage and ego taunt overpowering enemies into attacking your entire party. There you oh, go. Oh, man. <laughs> It gets to the final question for me to be stumped. Uh, what you should what you should not do is um, just because you uh, would appear to be the most power, powerful character now. I assume 
most powerful character uh, or the most you know abnormal character is that is don't steal the spotlight. Okay, you you can have a human bard that uh, that can assume just as much as of the spotlight as you. When it's your time to be quiet and be courteous, even if you're a red dragon wormling, be quiet and courteous and let somebody else have the limelight. Um, you know, I mean, there's clearly a reason, I don't know this person, but there's clearly a reason why you may have lent towards that character. Maybe the idea of the ego and the arrogance um, entices you, uh, but don't let that take over the whole game. So that would be my advice going off of a very little detail. That sounds good. Terry, you got the last roll. Oh, I do. Oh man, I thought it was, okay. Uh, last roll. I got. I'm going to roll on the. Uh, I'll roll on the on the black table for number five. Number five. This this one is my favorite question. Good. This is this is my favorite one. This is from Nick dot underscore dot long, who's asked us a few questions in the past, and he says two words: Why Dan? <laughs> really? <laughs> Why Dan? <laughs> It, now is it is it why comma Dan, why nope. Dan why Dan <laughs> why Dan why Dan why Dan do you know what uh, Dan I'm going to tell you to your face through Discord why um why Dan because if everybody <laughs> we're going to tell Dan, you Dan I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you because if everybody was out here shooting for the stars there'd be nobody left here on Earth right <laughs> fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so what what you're saying then terry is i could load you and adam into a rocket shoot you off to the sun and finally get some peace no i'm on, I'm on board with this <laughs> why dan because dan keeps us grounded was the reason i said that dan adam why dan because i know under any circumstance bar none even when Dan and I were at each other's fucking throats, it nearly killed the podcast when we were trying to do editing two Call of Cthulhu episodes that were three hours each every week while doing a regular episode and a special. We were so close to murdering each other. But without <laughs> yep. fail, without fail, any time that I have an interaction with Dan, I walk away smiling. Because... <laughs> yeah. I I do not know anybody as genuinely good and also funny and also completely and totally uh, conflicting with his own uh, inner monologue. Because I want you to know, <laughs> you guys can't see it, but when we say horrible shit on this podcast and point it at Dan, he gets this twinkle in his eye. And he's got a retort and he's playing the happy little Christian boy. But I know that there is something inside him. And when there's no one else around and it's just Dan and I, and he thinks he can get away with it, he tells me the God's honest truth about things. And fuck. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. You think I'm an evil genius? Dan is an evil, well, dude. And I really think that, that you, <laughs> I really think that Dan is consistently there. I, I have never regretted Dan being in the room. There are very few people I can say that about. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah. My you answer to this is, why Dan? Because who the fuck else would edit this bullshit? Um. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Dan, I'm going to give, I'm going to throw one last thing. And what Dan taught me in life is to choose your battles. Because sometimes it seems like Dan will let things go, let things go, let things go. Like, won't won't speak on things that maybe some people like you should speak on, won't speak on things. But it's more choose your battles. Because as soon as something becomes truly important, 
speaks up straight away. Just like that. Doesn't let it go. And I, and it took me a little while to notice that, but that is definitely very true. Uh, Dan told me to choose my battles, but when it's important, speaks up. Well, thank yeah, you guys. there's, there's a weird wisdom to Dan. It's not my level of wisdom, but every <laughs> once in a while he says something that I go, yeah, you know what? That, that's, that's not a bad idea. He often tempers me because I will straight up be, um, uh, chaotic honest about things. Yeah. Uh, and, I, I, and I, I, I roll with that. Yeah, and Dan says, now wait a minute. You probably don't want to say this. And so you have no idea how much shit that he has cut out of podcast episodes that Terry and I have said. <laughs> and you guys have no no idea how much shit I've gotten for cutting some stuff out of the podcast episodes. <laughs> if you should hear, you, you will be able to tell the episodes that I have edited and the episodes Dan, have, Dan has edited because I will leave the shit in. When it gets real dark or real creepy, chances are Adam edited that episode. That's that's true. Actually, I've listened to I listened to it. This sounds so arrogant. I listen to my own podcast while I'm driving around, and it's uh, it, it's more to be like, okay, what stupid shit did I say this time? And I feel like you know, <laughs> the past few months I've learned some lessons. Uh, but it's right. There's, there's times when you know when you know it's coming. I'm like, God, it's here, it's here. I hope it's not too bad. And then through the magic of seamless editing. It's disappeared, and I'm like, thanks, Dan, for having my back after I said something <laughs> fucking stupid. Nine yeah, times out of ten. Listen to the Celestials that... episode. Yeah, listen to the Celestials episode, Terry, and I'm sorry. Moving on. Okay, yes, moving on. That's it for this week's episode on the mailbag of holding for the It's a Mimic podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast and make sure to check us out on every Tuesday and stay tuned for our Touring the Multiverse and our campaign builder. We've got more specials coming, but most importantly right now what you can do if you are listening to this on the day it's released, run to your nearest social media for their details on the next giveaway that we are running right now where you can win another set of Mimic Minis from WizKids and you get to choose your own topic of a single special episode just for you. You can write in and we'll do a bit of a deeper dive. So check right now if the contest runs to the end of the month and we will make sure that we uh, we answer your question if you are chosen, if you are the giveaway, the contest winner. So um, thanks very much for everybody that wrote in and uh, thanks very much to Terry for being on this episode with me. Hey. You're welcome, Adam. Thank you. You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at itsamimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Fifth edition. Is- Adam, I'm sorry. You cut out. Uh, you said I heard what is the best thing about and then the, the noun cut out. Um, my penis. So... <laughs> Um, and you and you said action economy, and I said action economy. No, it, no, it was it was fifth edition. Fifth said, edition. What, what was the what was the best thing about fifth edition? And yes, action economy for my penis. There we go. We have a quote for the very end of the episode. <laughs>